And thank you all so very much on behalf of Jake and Josh and, and Joe. We say thank you as well. Um, life's about relationships. I learned that a long time ago through my parents and through sports. It's not what you know, it's who you know. Life's about people. And, and honestly, one of the dearest relationships in my life and in my entire life is me with you all. Now, I know that the church is about people. Uh, the church is the people. But I mean this with all sincerity, and I hope my life has proven it to you all before I even say it now, that I love you all. I want you all to get my best, not only from me, but from my wife and from, from our children. Uh, but we take very seriously that, that, that this is my job and that you all are our people and that, that, that I'm your pastor. Um, I like what Dan said at the end. You know, y'all do a great job of, of, of showing appreciation and things like that and looking out for us and um, the cards and the gifts. You know, this morning somebody already gave me a, a gift card to a place that Val and I have never been before. I, I didn't get to give it to her yet, but she's going to be thrilled. It's a place that we've never been, and we're going to love it. We're going to absolutely love it. Stuff like that is so meaningful and thoughtful, but even more than that, my job is not so much to, to, to serve you all as much as it is to serve God and you all. And that means that the way that, that I and we can be most appreciated is for you to love God. And if I know that you love God and that you're growing in his word, especially through how he's using me, that would mean more than a million cards and gift cards. For that is really my purpose and really why I'm here. And so to that end, may we look yet again to his word and may he build us up. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for good churches like this one that know how to appreciate their leaders. Father, thank you for love and encouragement, fellowship and the Holy Spirit and thank you, Lord, for building us up. God, thank you for knowing how to strengthen us and to do it regularly and continually, God. And thank you for my, for my sake and for my wife and our family's sake, God. This church thinks about that and is aware of that. What a, what a blessed, beautiful relationship we have in that regard. Lord, I pray that you would continue to do that. Father, now we come to your word. And we are hungry for it. Our souls are hungry for the truth today. And Father, we ask that you would bless it and teach us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would, turn to Mark chapter 14. That's where we're at. That's where we've been. That's where we'll continue to be. Mark chapter 14. It's page 936. If you want to use a pew Bible there, the black pew Bibles, 936, Mark 14. Uh, last week we looked at the Lord's Supper. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, that's why we take part in it, and now we're going to look at the conversation or the movement that happens right after he took the Last Supper with them. That's where we're at. In the bulletin, you'll see that the sermon title today is Misplaced Confidence. It seems like often on Sundays, I'm reminding you all that there are uh, heavy passages in Scripture, and therefore it means our morning worship service is going to be heavy. It's a lot to process, and today is kind of going to be one of those. We're at the end of the Gospel of Mark, and at the end of the Gospels, what happens is the big ugly scene of Jesus being betrayed and arrested and beaten and then crucified. 
That's what's about to happen. That's what we're coming up on. That's what we're dealing with. And, and since that's what we're dealing with, it's, it's, it's not very pretty. It's honest, brutally honest, about what happened to God and about our sins, and we are the cause of it. And so that's, that's where we're at. But I know y'all are hungry for the truth, and so we're not saddened that we're here today. We're hungry that we're here today to hear the truth. But today's sermon is on a misplaced confidence because Jesus has to die for us. Without the shedding of blood through God's holy son, there is no forgiveness of sins. He must die. And for the disciples, as strong as their devotion and commitment was to him, they didn't really understand that. Their confidence was misplaced. And we're familiar with a misplaced confidence. I know you are. I've had many talks from my parents when I was a teenager about I need to have a fallback plan. If this dream doesn't work out, what are you going to fall back on? If this plan doesn't work out, what are you going to fall back on? And a fallback plan means that your confidence or your hopes may be in the wrong place, right? I remember that phrase that I've heard my dad tell me before, you better not put all your eggs in one basket, right? You've heard that one before, right? For what happens if that basket breaks, you have no eggs left, right? That's this type of thing of going all in on something. If that in you're going in on or that thing you're going in on isn't enough to sustain you, then you're going to be in trouble. We do not need a misplaced confidence. And in the world today, we do not need a misplaced confidence. And with as sure and certain as sin and death and evil and hell are, you seriously do not need a misplaced confidence. With your soul and your life, you only need one confidence. But you better make sure that it's the one thing. That it is the Lord Jesus Christ. That it is the Savior of the world. Read with me at Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. In this passage, Peter has a misplaced confidence, full of zeal Strong, emphatic, passionate, real, energetic, but wrong. It was a misplaced confidence. And then it tells us at the end that all of the other disciples agreed with him. They all made the same affirmation. I want to give you three points today. Number one, meaningful singing. Meaningful singing. Number two, Misunderstood message. Misunderstood message. Number three, misplaced confidence. Meaningful singing, misunderstood message, 
And number three, a misplaced confidence. The passage begins with meaningful singing. It says in verse 26, when they had sung a hymn. So here in the flow of Mark chapter 14, as Jesus is about to die, we have a little half of a verse of Jesus and his people singing a hymn together. I know you may be shocked by this, but they're not in church, and they are singing to God. Imagine that. That's what they're doing. They are singing, and it has such meaning. There is meaning to why they are singing. There is a purpose in it. Now, I want to remind you that it's broken up in your Bible, or at least it is in mine, and so this looks like the next passage, but things are just flowing, and so they just had taken the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper. And remember, they were taking that supper because it was part of the Passover, the celebration. I, I've been explaining that to you all over the past several weeks. And so it was this thing that they do. They would read and they would take uh, several sips of the drink and then they would eat and then they would, would do this. And what was typical would be for them to end that with a song. So I don't want you to think necessarily like it's just you sitting around with some people singing. That's not exactly what's happening here. But I do want you to see that the Bible does tell us that that group of men hanging out together sang a hymn together. There was meaningful singing. And I want to remind you that so it is in the life of the believer that there is meaningful singing. We join here on Sunday mornings for worship. And worship has multiple components to it. There are several things that we are always going to do here on Sunday mornings. And one of them is look to the Word of God, preach the Word of God, read the Word of God. But another of those is that we are going to sing. It is a part of our church's life. It's a part of Sunday morning worship. We are gathered here to sing. I'm curious as to how loud it is and how much you enjoy the songs and how much you believe the songs and you're connecting with the songs. And there is meaningful singing and I hope that you get that. I hope that just as much as the preaching is feeding your soul, that on some levels you're thinking about the music ministers to you as well. I hope you're thankful for our church and, and, and Joe and the way he leads and, and the songs that we sing. I hope that your heart today was crying out, all I have is Christ, as we just sang that good song. I want to remind you that this is what the Bible teaches us, that it is the heart that loves God that then responds by singing to God in a worship service, but also in lots of places. You know that, right? In Ephesians chapter 5, as Paul is writing a letter to the church, in chapter 5, verse 18 and 19, he says this, but you ought to be filled with the Spirit, and you ought to be addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. That part of what our interaction is, is a joyful heart that sings to each other, that praises God, that's happy to be together, that singing is the response. Do you like to sing? Do you sing with meaning? Do you have some songs that you love? Do you sing in the shower? Do you sing in the car? Do you like to sing to God? I remember in January 2nd of 2008 when our first child was born and I was there in the operating room as Val had a C-section and I remember just about as soon as they got JJ out of her and, and I remember very clearly January 2nd, 2008, they handed JJ to me and I remember tears being in my eyes. It was my first child, my only child, my firstborn child, all of those things. He had the same name as me and I remember without having any plans at all, I just started going... To God be the glory, great things he has done. I started singing that. 
I can't remember the last time I heard that song, thought about that song, or sang that song. I was in an operating room. There were doctors everywhere, nurses everywhere, blood all over JJ, all that stuff. And my heart just started singing to God be the glory. Y'all, when your heart loves God, your heart likes to sing to him. Well, history tells us, tradition tells us, that the most common song that they would sing when they were doing the Passover meal is Psalm 118. That's what they would sing. Most commentaries said this is probably what they were singing. Now, we don't know what, what hymn they sang, but they said it was probably Psalm 118. And I don't know if you can turn there quickly, but I just want to read you a little bit of it and think about how much meaning there is if you and a group of people were singing this song. Psalm 118. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his steadfast love endures forever. Now listen to this. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me. He set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side. He is my helper. I will look on triumph on those who hate me. And the song is going on and on about how much the person knows he is loved by God, how much the person knows he is safe in God, how much the person knows that God is his father, God has his back, God is his identity, God is his confidence. And he sings that. I hope, I hope, I hope that you've got some songs in your heart. I want to ask you, when was the last time that you were singing meaningfully? I want to be real honest and say, when was the last time, if ever, that you sang a song to God outside of this place? When was the last time that your family sat around and just sang a song? When was the last time you sang with somebody else at a birthday party or whatever, a song that had some actual meaning to it? Again, yes, this is around the Lord's Supper, Passover feast, but it's not at a church. They didn't have to. They are singing to God because they are devoted to God. And so it is for all of us what we ought to be. I'm not saying that your family ought to eat dinner every night together and say a prayer together and sing a song together. That's not necessarily going to happen. But does it ever happen? I remember when I was in college, and actually it happened a few times in seminary, when we would just be hanging out Friday night, Saturday night, or whatever, and a bunch of people, sometimes all guys, sometimes guys and girls, we'd be hanging out, and, and, and we'd have a good time, and somebody'd say, hey man, grab your guitar, let's sing some songs. And in the fellowship of, of, a, of a group of young people that loved God, it was a fun time for us around a bonfire. I remember taking a guitar on a camping trip in the Appalachian Mountains, and part of our camping trip as, as young 20-something-year-olds is that we would sing to God. Weird as it might be, we did. Why? That's what we wanted to do. Meaningful singing. In Acts chapter 16, you've got this horrible story of Paul and Silas being on a missionary trip and they're beaten, and they rip their clothes off of them, and they beat them again, and they do all this horrible stuff to them. It's Acts chapter 16. Listen to this. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison, fastened their feet into the stocks. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. Listen to the very next sentence. About midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Yes, they were. And I'm not shocked by it. Beaten, naked, feet in shackles, singing songs to God. Why? Because they loved him. Because he's their confidence. 
because he's all they got. The world might be against them, but you know who isn't? God. He's on their side. He loves them. Meaningful singing. Do you sing? Do you like to sing? Remember when the Bible said that God put a new song in my heart? Has he put a new one in yours? I remember one time I was taking the boys to a soccer game. Noah had a tournament. It was a big game, and I'm trying to pump him up in the car. I don't think I'm much of a motivator. I try to be one, but it never works. I try to be one, so we're in the car, and I'm kind of pounding my chest saying, Noah, today's the day, man. I want you to get out there. I want you to rip them up. Nobody's going to play harder than you, Noah. Now's the time. Come on. No, I'm going to put you some pump-up pump music on. What do you want? So I'm, I'm searching through my phone. I'm finding this song. There's this one song out there that's like super high energy. It's called You Can't Stop Me. It's about Andy Minio. God's on my side. Nobody's going to stop me if God's with me. And I put that in, and we get about a minute or two into it, and I've got it loud. You can't stop me. That's what the song's like. I'm thinking this is going to Noah's going to be jacked up for this game. <laughs> Noah says, Dad, I don't really like this one. <laughs> I said, what? Sorry, man, I wanted to pump you up. What, what song's going to pump you up? You know what he said? How about you put on nothing but the blood? High energy songs will pump you up a little bit, won't they? But deep, meaningful songs will pump you up. How about nothing but the blood? How about not trying to get my energy going, but get my soul going? It says here that they had just sung a hymn together. Meaningful singing. But after that meaningful singing happens, the passage goes downhill from here. Jesus said to them, verse 27, you will all fall away. You know, church in 2017 has kind of gotten really popular on services being so pump you up and so inspirational that the messages have gotten to where they're good or bad by how you feel when you leave, right? Let's be honest. If I preach bad, you're like, ah, it didn't really do too much for me today. <laughs> and if I preach good, then it maybe lifts you up through lunch or something. Those inspirational messages never really last past like Sunday afternoon, you know. Mondays are still Mondays. I want to remind you that often Jesus' message didn't lift you up. A lot of times Jesus' message would get you down so that then he might lift you up. Y'all, they just took the Lord's Supper together. They just sang a song together. This is a high, right? Did you hear what he said to them on the way out? Come on, y'all, let's head to the mountain now. By the way, y'all are all about to fall away. Y'all shallow and weak and not nearly as resolved as you think you are. You will all fall away. That's, that's not my message. I, I love you all, and I'm actually more fearful of you all than Jesus is of his people. He has absolutely no reserve at all on anything he tells them. He is the word of God in the flesh. He says what God tells him to say. He is completely unashamed. He is not worried about anybody's response. I want to be bold and unashamed, but I still fear your response at times. Jesus says to them, you will all fall away. And then he quotes, look here, he quotes the Bible, he quotes the Old Testament prophet Zechariah chapter 13 verse 7. And he says, it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. You 
They misunderstood the message. They misunderstood the message. Now, here's what I mean. Jesus tells them they're all going to fall away, and as you know, they are all about to fall away because they never really understood the message. Why are they going to fall away? Because Jesus, their leader, the the, the God-man, is about to be taken. He's about to be betrayed. He's about to be arrested. He's about to be beaten for all of the strength and glory that he possesses and all that he's able to do, whatever. Remember, he's been healing people, making the blind see, making people that can't walk, walk. He's been making pigs, uh, demons leave people and go into pigs. He's been making the storms stop. Jesus to them is absolutely everything, and they're about to see that all go away. They're about to see it look like, man, this guy can't even protect himself. He's about to be taken into the hands of these bad guys. It's all going to fall apart. And when it all looks like it's falling apart, they think, well, we don't know what we think now. And they're all going to run and hide. They're going to fall away. They're going to scatter. Well, what is it about all of that happening to Jesus that's not right? And you and I, looking back in hindsight, think, yes, I'm so thankful that that happened to him. I'm thankful that Judas betrayed him. I'm thankful that Jesus was beaten. I'm thankful that Jesus went to the cross. I'm thankful for the blood. That's my only hope. That's all the confidence that the world offers. That is all the confidence that the world offers. If Christ is not crucified, we have no hope. They misunderstood the message. They loved Jesus and they loved following Jesus as long as it looked like everything was okay. They ain't even heard about redemption yet. They ain't even thought about the forgiveness of sins and the grace that they need. They never thought about somebody dying in their place. They've not even, that's not even on their level yet. They're confused about it. And so when Jesus says you're going to fall away, they are going to fall away. Now here's an awesome point. He says you're going to fall away because he knows they're pretty weak. And I'm going to talk about that. But you know why we are absolutely certain, certain, certain they're going to fall away? And Jesus knows this too? Because the Bible says that they're going to fall away in Zechariah 13. If the Bible said in the Old Testament they're going to fall away, guess what you can take to the bank? They're going to fall away. The Bible doesn't get it wrong. The Bible's always right. The Bible is absolutely true. There are no flaws or errors in this word of God. And even Jesus himself, who is the word himself, he's the word himself, he quotes Zechariah. He doesn't say you're going to fall away because I know everything. He doesn't say you're going to fall away because I'm God and I know you're going to fall away. He doesn't say that. He says you're going to fall away because that Old Testament prophet speaking, thus saith the Lord, by the power of God, said you will fall away. And he remembers Zechariah 13, 7. And so they're going to fall away. Why are they going to fall away? Well, it says that too. It says the shepherd will be striked. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. That's what it says. It's been God's message all along, folks, that God would come to his people. His people would not accept him. He would be rejected. He would be killed, crushed, punished for us. And after he does all that for us in our place, God will raise him up. And that work of Jesus will be the saving work for anybody. They didn't know that. The passage says very clearly, look look at verse 27. Here's what he says. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. In other words, something's going to happen to Jesus. He'll be struck. The sheep will be scattered. They'll all flee and hide away. But look, after that, I will be raised up, and then I will go before you to Galilee. 
Jesus knows the plan. Jesus knows the master plan. Jesus knows exactly what's about to go down. Jesus knows how all this is going to come about. In John chapter 16, verse 32, it says, Jesus says, my time has come. They're about to get me, and you're all going to scatter. He says it in John chapter 16, and that's what we're about to see happen. They misunderstood the message. You're all going to fall away. The Bible says you're going to fall away. They're going to strike the shepherd. The sheep are going to scatter. Then I'm going to be raised up. This is what it's about to go down. And they didn't get that. I want to ask you all if you all misunderstand the message. Do you get it? We had a new members class start today. People who are just curious or interested in possibly joining the church had a really good one. It meets, meets four times. And we spent the last hour downstairs in that class. And I honestly more or less spent the whole first session not so much talking about our church, but talking about the message of our church. Talking about the gospel message. Talking about the message that one must know and understand and believe in order to get right with God and go to heaven. Y'all, there is a message from God, and if we do not get that right, we're wrong. If we do not believe his love, we're wrong. We need to understand the message. The message of God in the Gospel of Mark is, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, Mark 10, 45, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He just said that four chapters ago. Here he brings it up and they don't understand it. John 3.16 says it like this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The message is that you get God, you get right with God, you get the blessings of God from somewhere outside of you. The message is all about you surrendering and placing confidence in something over there and going so against, hating, even appalling the idea that there is some sort of confidence that can come from you. When Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 2, he made it crystal clear, not by works so that you will not boast. Not by works so that you will not boast. In the book of Judges, with the judge Gideon, Gideon had a big army, and he was about to fight the enemies. And his army was so big, God said, no, we're going to shrink that army down. And he takes that army from some 32,000 soldiers, and he breaks it down to 300 soldiers. Gideon's scared. Gideon says, there's no way I'm going to win this war with just 300 people. And God says, oh, watch this. I'll win the war for you. And you won't be able to boast about how strong your army is. I'll give you a weak army, a small army, and I'll win the war. And you'll say, God did it, and you won't say, you did it. And so it is in your life. And if your church life or your goodness or your good works or your giving or your serving or anything is something that you do or that you think you've come up with or it's how mama raised you or anything like that and it causes you to place your confidence or the forgiveness of sins or, or eternal life or anything like that in anything else other than that solid rock, that lone foundation that is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, then your confidence is wrong and you don't understand the message. 
You do not understand the man. And I get it. Because church life is so, so full, and you can come to church today, you can come to church tonight, we can have snacks tonight, and we can talk about how much we like our pastor and appreciate him, and we can get into all this stuff. We did a bonfire last night, we'll do dinner here Wednesday night. You can get all involved in the mix, and next thing you know, you think, I, I kind of like this. Made some good friends there, they got some good people down there. And next thing you know, you're not even focused on what our message is. It says it on the front of our bulletin that we exist to proclaim Jesus. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. That's what we are about. And if you want to be about God, then you have to understand the message of God. And his message is, Jesus came to save us from our sins, but the only way you get that saving, the only way you get that salvation is to stop with what you think is good about you, admit that you've got sins in yourself, and put all 100% of your hope in what Jesus has done. That's the message. That is our message. They didn't understand that. The reason why they're going to scatter is because all the stuff that's got to happen to Jesus is about to start happening to Jesus, and they're going to think, what? what's going on? They're going to scatter because they don't understand the message. So Jesus is telling them they've got a misunderstood message. Several years ago when I was first getting into the ministry, one of my mentors, I was always asking him and calling him and asking him questions about stuff, and he told me this story. I've never forgot it. He said he was at a church one time, and there was a sweet lady in the church, and she was... She was elderly, and her health started declining and, and all that. And she'd been in the church for forever, really. And he went to visit her in the hospital, and surely she was, she was close to passing away, but she was still there and could talk and all that. And she'd been in the church for a long time. And he said she kept saying to him, I just hope I've been good enough that he's going to let me in. I just hope I've been good enough that he's going to let me in. And he said it kind of rocked his world. He said, I preach every week. That's not the message. He said, she comes to church every week and hears me preach, and that's not the message. Now, I'm not sure her whole situation or whatever. I have no idea where she went or anything like that, but y'all, that's not the message. If you need me to show up at the hospital bed and remind you you're not good enough for him to let you in, I will. That's why I'd like to tell you before you get in your hospital bed. That's why I'm telling you today. Don't misunderstand the message. I'm telling every single one of you here that if you're the nicest person in your family and the sweetest person at your job and the best citizen here in Fairdale and you think that's going to make you right with God, you're wrong. But I'm here to tell you right now that if you're the most prideful, egotistical, arrogant, racist, judgmental prick around, you're a good candidate for the love of God. Now you need to repent of that. Don't put your confidence in the wrong message. God's message is that Jesus saves sinners. God's message is he will change your wicked heart. God's message is he will remove your sins from you. God's message is his love and mercy is stronger than how bad you are. May you trust in the true message of God. In this passage, they had meaningful singing, and a misunderstood message, but lastly, they had a misplaced 
confidence. Jesus says, you will all fall away. He tells them all that I just said. And in verse 29, Peter speaks up. It's almost always Peter that speaks up, so we're not surprised by that. It's Peter that walked on water. It's Peter that walked first into the empty tomb. It's Peter that says things he shouldn't be saying. It's Peter that has a misplaced confidence. Verse 29, Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. This is rough, right? This is a divided locker room, isn't it? This is one guy on the team going, well, they all might. I mean, I kind of know them. They, They really might give up on you, Jesus, but I won't. I'm stronger than all of them. Jesus answers back and says, it's funny to us because we know the story. It's humorous. Y'all, this is not funny. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you this very night, Peter, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Y'all, Jesus is Lord. He really is Lord. That means he knows every thought. He knows everything you're trying to hide. He knows what you did last night. He knows what you did this morning. He knows what you're thinking right now. He knows what you're trying not to think right now, but you're still thinking it. He knows all of that. He knows every single little thing. And any confidence you have that's even just 1% still in you, God can rip it up. Jesus can see right through it. He can call you out. We like Peter's assertiveness and his boldness, don't we? I hope some of y'all, if I say, man, it looks like all of us are getting weak, I hope one of y'all say, Josh, I'm not weak. I'm going to live for God here in Fairdale, and I want to see these people come to know Jesus. I wish we'd have more people beating their chest saying they want to do that too. But if your confidence gets out of line and you start to neglect one bit the strong lordship of Jesus, you need to see this passage. Peter, the spokesman for the 12 disciples, the guy who leads the charge in the book of Acts, in the book of Acts, our Peter, the leader of the apostles says, "No. Even if they all fall away, I will not." And Jesus says, "Peter, tonight you will three times." His confidence was so misplaced. Peter speaks back. Peter still doesn't take a sit back. He's not humbled by that. He's not put in his place. He's not not bothered by that so much. Verse 31, he said emphatically, he's raising his voice now. He's kind of getting shook up. The juice is flowing. He says, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. That sounds awesome, doesn't it? When you hear people say that, you're like, man, that's awesome. I bet there's been some fools somewhere before they've gotten that tattooed on them before, honestly. I bet you there's some people out there in the world who've had that quote commented on their body before. Even if I have to die for you, I will. And Peter denied him. Now praise God by the power of the Holy Spirit. After he learns all of this and God really fills him with the Holy Spirit, he was willing to die for him. But right now he wasn't. He wasn't willing to die for them down the road when things got rocky. He wasn't willing to die for him tonight when people are just questioning, do you know Jesus? The Bible tells us that he's standing around a fire with a young girl, and she says, don't you know this guy, Jesus? And Peter says, no, 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 not not me. I don't know him. Just a liar, just a a shamed, embarrassed guy, and he denies him. But here's my whole point. This is a misplaced confidence. Peter says, I won't. Jesus says, you will. Peter says, never. Jesus says, yeah, you will. All of them say, we won't either. Jesus says, yeah, you will. J.C. Ryle says that there is far more wickedness in all of our hearts than we even know. Folks, we are sinners. We're not good with a little bad. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are not right with God. 
We are not alive to God until we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Until we can place our confidence in what he's done. You know how we listen to testimonies all the time and we used to do those testimonies here at church and you've surely heard somebody's testimony before and you know how testimonies are all the time telling their story, I used to do this, I used to do that, I used to do that, I used to do that and people, people get into all that sort of stuff. Do you realize that at the very core, the only thing that testimony has to say is Jesus did something to me? You understand that that's the very crux of what makes a testimony a testimony, and that's what makes Christians think testimonies are good or not? We really don't care how bad things were with you or how bad you were. The only part we're waiting to hear and we can say amen to is Jesus changed me. A testimony can be 10 minutes long about all the stuff you've done, all the drugs you've done, all the jails you've been to, but if it doesn't get to Jesus is what my life's all about now, then it's not a testimony. We don't have any confidence in a changed life. There's a lot of people that change their lives, right? We don't have any confidence in that. We don't have any confidence in you getting better and finally learning how to go to college and get an education and, and make some money for yourself and depend on yourself. That ain't confidence. That'll get you through life. It won't get you through death. That'll give you a good impression in front of your friends, your peers you're trying to impress. It won't get you one step into heaven. It won't get you right with God. When you face God face to face, it's going to be, what about all those sins? Even those secret ones hidden in your heart. What about those? And there's going to be an answer that's going to be straight walk right on through. Jesus died for me. I got no other confidence. I got no other confidence. If the joke's true, Peter stands at the gates of heaven and says, why should I let you in? Don't pull out your tablet or your notes or your worksheet or your list of things you've done. You're not getting in. Say Jesus. Say the blood. Say the forgiveness of sins. Their confidence was all wrong. But I want to ask you, and this is what will really get to the heart of it, what were they thinking about that made them so sure? What were they thinking about that made them so sure? There's not an answer. What, what, what can people be so positive, certain about? What, what comfort is there that somebody's in a better place, made it to heaven? What comfort is there that things are, all things are going to work out and it's going to be okay? Those are false securities, guys. What might Peter be appealing to? I'll die for you if I have to. How do you know, Peter? What's going to hold you up when it gets tough? The only answer is Jesus. That's the only answer, and he doesn't figure that out yet. The only answer is the message of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, the love of God that controls us. That's the only answer, but he doesn't know it yet. That was my second point. He misunderstood the message. He's not strong enough to make it through that day. He's not going to make it through the hard times. What's going to hold him up? What were they so sure about? That got me thinking. I want to warn you against a misplaced confidence. We put our confidence in a lot of things. But they're false securities. It's only Jesus. Only Jesus. Peter could have said, Man, I've been with you for three years. And we just sang a hymn together, man. I love singing with you, Jesus. 
Man, don't you remember we fed all those people? We didn't even have the food, and we did it, man. Man, don't you remember that? Don't you remember we were fishing that time, and we couldn't catch any fish, man. It was a rough day, man. We're so bad at fishing. You remember you came and got in the boat, and you, you reeled in that net? Man, we had more fish than we knew what to do with. Jesus, you remember when me and my brother were out fishing that time, and we didn't even know you. And you found Andrew and he, my brother, and he came and got me. That's when all this started, Jesus. You remember that about three years ago? We've known each other three years now, man. It's been a, been a long ride together. And we go way back. We've been buddies for a long time. You know what I'm getting at, don't you? The good old days and the precious memories. They won't hold you up. That's one of the real problems with religious people today in America. We got notebooks and photo albums full of precious memories, and they don't hold us up. Y'all, our town is full of people suffering like crazy because it's not holding up. Y'all, our families are hurting. Our families are hurting. We don't want to talk about it because it's not holding up. The only thing that'll hold you up is Jesus. That's the only thing. Precious memories aren't precious if the substance of the moment isn't still the substance of the memory. If I start talking about, man, 14 years ago, I, I remember when I got here, and man, we were going on fun youth trips, man. I remember we went and jumped in the lake up at Tom Walls together in our jeans. I remember that old church van we had, and man, I remember doing all that sort of stuff. Man, those were the good old days. You know what? I don't like thinking about that. Some of those kids are so far from Jesus, they don't want anything to do with him. They don't want anything to do with me. I don't like those memories. Instead of stirring my heart up, they stir my heart down. Instead of making me happy, they hurt. Our precious memories aren't precious if the substance of the moment isn't still the substance of my memory. The good old days aren't so good anymore if what made them good isn't good now. And we're learning that the hard way, aren't we? At best, those things are bittersweet. At best. They hurt. We need to be about Jesus. And we need to help other people be about Jesus. Y'all remember the old song we sing that says, my hope is built on nothing less? Nothing less than what? Jesus' blood and righteousness. I don't have any other hope than that. When my kids are suffering, what's the only hope? Jesus. When my wife's suffering, what's my only hope? Jesus. When life's hard, what's the only hope? Jesus. When I get old and can't do anything anymore, what's the only hope? Jesus. When it comes time to die, what's the only hope? Jesus. There's no other hope. That's why I loved it. And Holly, you sounded awesome today singing. I think the mic was even more accurate today. Loud and proud. As she sang, all I have is Christ. All I have is Christ. Hallelujah. All I have is Christ. And we got other things. We do. We're about to leave here. I'm going to go lunch with my family today. It's going to be nice. 
I've got other things. I've got a soccer game today. I'm going to love that. Can't wait to go and cheer them on. We've got other things, but those other things don't last. They don't. Only Jesus does. And so every other thing, like family meals and soccer games and parenting and interacting with you all and everything that we do has to be built upon the foundation of Jesus. And to the extent that it is, awesome. But to the extent that it's not, pray, pray, pray. What is your confidence in? Are you here today with a misplaced confidence? Are you like Peter saying, oh, I'm never going to. I'm so good, I got it figured out, I'm never going to fall away. Or have you learned that it's a simple message? Jesus. Is he your everything? If you're here today and you've not placed all of your confidence in Christ, would you? I realize it's a small town. It may be awkward to walk forward. If you've never trusted in Christ, you're not sure of heaven. You've never gone public with it. You've never become a Christian. You've never said, I want to be saved. I don't care who knows. I want to be right with God. I want to put my confidence in him. If you've not done that, do it today. Get right with God. Know that confidence is found in Jesus and put all your confidence in Jesus. Do not let it be misplaced. Understand the message. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage that's heavy because they're going to fall away, but they don't get it. And thank you, God, that's so instructive to us. And thank you, God, that we're able to look back on other people's lives and learn from them. Father, I pray that you would move in our hearts now. If anybody needs to trust in Christ and be saved, they would do it today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.